Hey everybody, thanks for coming back for episode 4 of What Really Chaps My Ass. This week's episode is titled The Two Dangers, The Art of Repetition and The Line of Convenience. So let's get going. As a reminder, what really chaps my ass is my self-declared safe space for looking at one issue at a time, explaining why it chaps my ass, maybe provide some solutions along the way that no one will ever implement, and hopefully I could provide a little levity and a little humor along the way. So let's get on to the disappointment. As many of you would likely guess, I have been confused, bewildered, disappointed, and angry about how and why so many Americans have bought into Trump's contention that the election was rife with fraud. Worst thing to ever happen. Rigged! I wish I could say that I was surprised that so many believed the claims of fraud as soon as the election was called, with no evidence. And really, this started long before. And by the way, this belief has inexplicably and illogically become more solidified, even though there is less evidence now than they claim they had at the beginning. Ridiculous isn't a strong enough term. As if that wasn't enough, over half of the Republicans in the U.S. House of Representatives backed the merits of this ridiculous Texas case, and some, including Scalise and McCarthy, actually signed their names to it. As I'll touch on later, I would bet they really didn't believe in fraud at all. So even if this podcast is a fool's errand, I am happy to be that fool. I am making an effort to get to the root cause why so many, some polls suggest tens of millions of people, if not more, why so many continue to believe that the election was rife with massive fraud. Or are they just like the elected Republicans I mentioned, and just going along with it because it's like a can of Pringles. Once you start, you can't stop. And I'm trying to offer a little bit of a unique approach and trying to understand this outright assault on our democracy. And make no mistake, this is an assault. I'm hoping to unpack what I believe are two core reasons that there is such general discontent, such disbelief about the results of our elections. And those reasons can reveal a lot about the true intentions of what I think are perpetrators. Truth be told, these two reasons can be traced to why this nation overall is so divided. But I'm trying to focus on the election specifically. Because I have but one episode to give, at least right now. The first reason I touch on is the art of repetition, which, as the title would suggest... It's repeating something ad nauseum until it's believed, hook, line, and sinker. And the second is what I like to call the line of convenience. This is that proverbial red line that isn't so red and moves as the wind blows without ever acknowledging that the line was red or even existed in the first place. I strongly believe that the combination of repetition and moving the red line can have a devastating impact 
on our great American experiment. And no, I don't think this is hyperbole. I don't think it's an exaggeration. There are too many ways to tear this apart and break it down. Like, what should be very simple and just stating the facts, such as Biden won the election? But since facts can apparently be divisive or alternative these days, I'm attacking this from a little bit of a different angle. Alternative facts, just that term. If anyone wrote that in support of a thesis in college or even an essay in high school or on the dotted line papers in third grade, they would have been laughed at and failed. Opinions are opinions. But facts are facts. They are without subjectivity. They're not supposed to be divisive. They only become that way if people take those facts and either refuse to acknowledge they are real or twist them to fit their own sense of reality. No, I didn't attend an Ivy League school. I'm not a Hollywood actor. Damn it. I'm not a socialist, a communist, a looter, or a rioter. And I don't have degrees or certifications in sociology, psychology, psychiatry, social engineering, or whatever profession you think means something enough for me to have an opinion. You don't have to think I'm an expert to consider my angle. But you also shouldn't discount my angle outright just because I'm not an expert. Because I'd be willing to stake my opinions and beliefs and reasoning against any of these smart people on any of the networks. Facts are on my side. What I do have, instead of accreditations and being an expert, is an insane curiosity and demand for the truth, logic, and connecting the dots. I have an absolute right, and I'll say an obligation, to say something. I just wish more of our elected officials, these supposed representatives of our population, wish they'd do the same. So instead of letting my face turn purple, waiting for that to happen, I want to tackle the first ploy, which is the danger of repetition. I define this as repeating something often and loud enough to have it be the most talked about, most written, most seen, most heard, most popular thing out there. The danger that I think exists is represented by pretty clear evidence that over time, people take popular things to be the truth. If we are familiar with something, we tend to question it less, consider different variations of it less, and so on, until the point is reached that we just accept it. I am convinced that once we accept the most repeated things as the truth, it is very difficult to unwind it. It's very difficult to rationalize anything with anyone. And as I've stated before, if that happens, we would not be in a good place. And I really don't think we are now, which is pretty much a reflection of the current political environment that doesn't allow for civil debate. You're either on this side, which is way over there, or you're on that side, which is way over there. And I'm not sure which is worse, but I try to ask myself, you know, is this repetition really an art form? Or is it just winging it as you go without recognizing the bigger picture or caring about the impact on tomorrow? If it's an art form, that would suggest that Trump really doesn't believe what he's repeating, but he knows that if he repeats it often enough, loud enough, and in as many mediums as possible, it becomes believable. 
parallels here I have? I don't know. David Koresh, Jim Jones? But if it's not an art form, then it means Trump might actually believe it and is dying on his sword as a result. Parallels here? Maybe Mel Gibson, Kanye West, Boris Yeltsin, except the alcohol part, which is probably Trump's problem. So this basically means that Trump is either a sadistic, narcissistic predator that needs a cult-like following to feel better about his popularity, or it means that he really believes the fraud claim, which means he's possibly, certifiably, insane. I would make the argument that he's a narcissist and insane. I mean, certainly he would likely be disqualified from any government post based on his mental acuity at but conveniently, not the presidency. There's a third option here, too, and that he really doesn't believe that fraud is rampant, but is doing what is best for him at that moment only without considering what that will mean when it's proven undeniably false the next day or maybe the next minute. But since he never reverses course or entertains the possibility of being wrong ever, he ends up either ignoring all inquiries that may point out he's wrong with facts, or as is most often the case, he ends up doubling and tripling down on everything, no matter how absurd. Blind followers buy into some self-described prophecy that he is strong by not backing down and fighting for America. I mean, good grief. This peddled lie of voter fraud manifested in part with Trump insisting to hypothesize that a good 6 million votes were fraudulent in 2016, which denied him the right to claim the popular vote landslide that he ended up claiming anyway, and did so falsely and repeatedly. He insisted this to the point of assigning a commission to look into these fraud claims of millions of illegal votes being cast. It's a good thing he did because we caught millions of illegals in California voting for Hillary Clinton. Oh, that's right. None of that was found. This was disbanded quicker than it was formed, just about. Because you need actual, certifiable, reliable evidence. Even Lois Einhorn knew Ace Ventura had nothing on her until she mistakenly turned around in front of Dan Marino and revealed that she was indeed Ray Finkel. Not sure how that was relevant. Um, I always have to add in some kind of movie line or something somewhere within podcasts. So, I mean, so what if I use this opportunity to talk about hiding Mr. Winky? I mean, that's like the opposite of Jeff Tubin. So I'm on the good side here, right? Anyway, so this bullshit theory of rampant voter fraud was repeated so many times, so loudly, during supposed press conferences by his cheerleaders, McEnany, Meadows, Miller, Pence, Pompeo, and Barr. There's this notion that Republicans in Congress were stuck between a rock and a hard place. The rock being the truth, and the hard place being some loyalist drone bee that doesn't know where their tongue ends and Trump's boot begins. And actually, this shouldn't have been a difficult decision at all. But Trump tapped into a fear in this country that his lemmings in Congress and across the country saw as their last opportunity to hold on to power. It's what gives rise to completely inept and incompetent leaders in government just spewing bullshit 
without ever having to do anything to back it up. Or in other cases, silence is complicity. McConnell recognizing Biden as president-elect the day after the Electoral College cast their votes is not some grand gesture or choice of doing the right thing. He was stuck between that rock and hard place I just talked about, and he made the conscious choice to keep his tongue within inches of Trump's boot for weeks. He has the right to pursue his legal options type excuse. That was McConnell saying that Trump was doing what he could do by law and not what he should do. I mean, stating facts is simple. I'm reminded by the mantra, you know, WWJD, what would Jesus do? All McConnell did Tuesday was recognize the actual final step in the voting process. It was not a right thing to do or some brave step. It was him recognizing he holds great power and doesn't want to lose it. Doesn't want to lose the Grim Reaper title. And so he chose a moment that the spotlight could be laser focused on him and him alone. He wasn't courageous in what he did. Asking his Republican senators to not pull stunts in January is not some moral step. It was him saying, don't you dare make me look stupid or with less power than I want everybody to know I have. If nothing else, it further proves that he has zero moral compass and only craves power. And maybe it's because his wife will be losing her job in a month to a gay man. I don't know. And so the art of repetition has produced an unconscionable mindset of many of this country's voters. And now, a word from our sponsors. Well, let's move on. Let's shift to the second con in this episode, which is the line of convenience. I use the analogy of drawing a line in the sand only to swipe over it with your foot, draw a new line, deny the first line ever existed, and then swipe over the second line, etc., etc. Lather, rinse, repeat. And the reason why so many have latched on to Trump's teat is because they clearly recognize that their days in power are numbered. They clearly knew that once the election was called, there was never going to be enough evidence to show any substantiated level of fraud because there wasn't any. The latest Texas case did nothing to change that. It didn't allege fraud. It didn't put a bunch of voting machines up and say, here, here are the machines that flip the votes. It alleged that states used the pandemic as an excuse to expand mail-in voting. Let's take the difference between what these public lies, deceptions, and conspiracy theories are versus what was presented in actual courtrooms. Essentially, these red lines, like ballot dumps at 3 in the morning, I had it all won at 10 o'clock at night, Dominion voting machines switched hundreds of thousands of votes, and I saw Trump ballots burned in a dumpster out behind a post office. 68% of a particular Michigan County's votes were switched from Trump to Biden. If any of these were facts... And the funny thing is, these should be super easy to show if they were even partly true. You would think that maybe a stellar legal team or maybe even somebody in their first term in law school would be able to piece that together in front of a judge. Any judge not named Janine Pirro, probably. But that was never going to happen. Many knew this. I'm surprised 
that people thought that they'd actually see evidence. And it's convenient for Trump because he can repeatedly say big evidence coming soon or as long as we get courageous judges and so on. But if he presented any of that bullshit in court, it would have handed him a convincing defeat. Plus, it probably would have resulted in lawyers being disbarred and possible criminal charges being filed. Instead, he's able to continue to say there's massive fraud, rigged elections, and he can do so uncontestedly. Nothing preventing anyone from flat out lying in public. Nothing illegal about it. Nothing facts can do to mitigate it. There is something illegal about yelling fire in a crowded theater. And this is far worse in my opinion. That old adage, stop writing checks with your mouth that your body can't cash, rings true, but only in a more official setting like a courtroom. Public messaging, like through Twitter and other sources, your mouth can write as many blank checks as you want, and you never have to make sure there are sufficient funds. So this line of convenience that I started talking about, this started this red line as fraud, fraud everywhere, right? Dominion voting, Hugo Chavez, Brian Kemp making money, Philly, Detroit, Milwaukee, all that corruption, to the Supreme Court not being courageous or patriotic or American. The intent of Trump and those supporting him or those that remain silent has been more and more unmasked for more people to see. But there's a point of no return that they have already crossed, in my opinion. They are so far over that point that they can't even look back to see what that point, what, where that red line really ever was. So if they can't see it, they never have to be held accountable for setting ridiculous red lines in the first place. But I hold them accountable for whatever power I may have, whatever means necessary, never give in, never surrender. These mantras are what Trump and his loyal followers are hiding behind. This veiled and super expensive parlor trick meant to distract millions from the true desired intent of many Republicans. They do not want voters in heavily populated areas to fully exercise their right to vote. They want to make it more difficult. This is suppression pure and simple. You want proof? If you are really listening to me at this point, good bladder control, by the way, and you are doing so with an open mind and you are not certain, positive, that one person should equal one vote, then I'm probably not going to convince you. And you'd probably be best served trying to align yourself with one of the many authoritarian dictators that are in power around the world. Trump and others have explicitly stated several times that if mail-in voting and other ways to make voting easier go forward, Republicans will never win another national election. If all eligible voters indeed cast ballots, then yes, it's very unlikely that Republicans would win because there are historical facts and evidence to back that up. There are more registered Democrats than Republicans. That's a fact. Republicans are much more likely to vote. That's a fact. So the real issue that Republicans have is that if Democrats become more likely to vote, turn out a higher percentage of voters, i.e., it's easier for them to vote, then the GOP really has very little chance of winning anything nationally. 
And maybe, just a thought here, Bill Barr, when trying to figure out what could happen if mail voting would expand, instead of saying logic says that it would be fraudulent, maybe you could look at states that actually do this and have done it and find out issues they have or don't have. Expanded mail-in voting does not mean that Republicans would be disenfranchised or that illegal votes would be the norm all of a sudden. What it means is that the Republican Party needs a come-to-Jesus moment. And I can think of at least 100 in the last four or five years that they should have had by now. And instead, they need to make a sustained, sincere, and honest effort to reach out to all voters, not pit themselves against large cities, not insist upon red states and blue states, breaking down what is an insane level of support, if not sworn allegiance from Trump followers, has unveiled what I believe to be the clear and main motivation behind spineless elected Republicans not acknowledging Biden's victory and signing on to the intent behind the cases in Texas and Wisconsin and many others. It is to disenfranchise voters, by and large, those in major cities. They want to make it more difficult to vote. They want to restrict mail-in voting to only those that can absolutely not vote in person and not by their personal choice. They want to revise the census process. They're continuing efforts to this day in state legislators to politically gerrymander, which is connected to the census process. They want to remove drop box locations. They want a disproportionate number of polling locations and workers based on populations. See Governor Abbott in Texas, one drop box per county in Texas. They clearly believe that one person does not equal one vote. And while you can make an argument that Rush Limbaugh does not represent the GOP, I would suggest being awarded the Presidential Medal of Freedom that he does. He recently made a point that many voters don't think New Yorkers or folks like them have anything in common with those out in the sticks. This was part of a rationale that is being used by some in Texas, I believe, to suggest why some may want right-leaning states to secede, for God's sake, secede. Haven't we played this song before? There's this bullshit concern that cities can somehow dictate how we live as Americans. Yes, there are more people in cities and surrounding suburbs which are overwhelmingly Democrat. And so you might fear a majority coming to take your guns, take your Bible, make your daughter marry a gay black transvestite or something. There are and will continue to be laws in this country that protect minorities against majority rule. And how ironic now that white men are fearing that because the Hispanic and black populations are increasing at a faster rate, uh-oh, well, now they want to make damn well sure that their rights cannot be infringed upon. And the easiest way to ensure that is for the Electoral College to remain in place. No, your one white conservative vote in Kentucky is not worth more than that one Mexican black transvestite pagan movie star in New York. The clear focus on swing states by Trump and others that end up deciding elections should be a supreme driving force behind doing away with the Electoral College once and for all. 
one person does not equal one vote in the Electoral College, which really begs the question, why is there still support for this? I once supported it because I thought that no state should be devalued during the primaries or general election. And then each voter is vital. Each is important. Each is equivalent to every other voter. But by applying practice to reality, take 2016, for example. Roughly 107,000 people in three states ultimately decided the presidency. Those 107,000 voters were basically worth more than 2.8 million, which was Hillary's popular vote margin, by the way. And yes, that has been proven a fact. And I don't have a degree in mathematics either, but if you're in a swing state, you were worth 26 California votes in 2016. And if you're in California or West Virginia or Texas or New York, your vote was worth a fraction of a Wisconsin vote. Constitutional purists, some say, want the Electoral College to remain intact. And I think those same purists want that little nugget about two-thirds of a person to remain intact also. You can tell me it's not that simple, but I think it is. I think it's exactly that simple. All of this is centered in a weak but very rooted in reality argument that if mail-in voting increases, Republicans won't win another national election. But it's being shrouded under the guise of fraud having something to do with it when it really means that they want voter participation to be low. It's how the minority can really try and be largely successful to not necessarily be protected from majority rule, but by holding on to power themselves and at all costs. Because I believe that's really what it is. White, rural, suburban, manufacturing, white picket fence, glory of the so-called 1950s prosperity that everyone behind the Make America Great Again slogan was really after. Reality, though, is that we always strive to push ahead, not backwards, not to repeat history. Because no matter how great you might believe things were for you and your ancestors, it doesn't mean it was so great for many Americans that didn't happen to look like us, act like us, or raise families like us. A suburban vote is not worth any more than a city vote, is not worth more than a farm vote, not worth more than a retirement community vote, or a black vote, or a Hispanic vote, not worth more than a white vote, more than a straight vote, a gay vote, a woman's vote, a man's vote, none of it. They're all equal. One vote for each eligible voter. And we should, all of us, be making every effort to make as many people eligible as possible. That, ladies and gentlemen, is the only way to prevent true fraud or voter fleecing from occurring. But please do not be fooled. Republicans aren't the least bit interested in making it easier to vote. And that is at the core of what really chaps my ass this week. I hope you enjoyed this week's episode. Remember to subscribe, rate, and review the show when you get a chance. It helps us to reach more listeners in their searches. Did you love it? Let me know and share the podcast with every single person you know. Or bust into their phones and subscribe for them. If you hate it, step up to the counter, order what you want, slide to the left, pay, and leave. And don't you dare ask for bread.